Okay, no more compliments. Hello, welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode number 63. With me, as always, my two... What's the name of that new annoying card? Notion. Uh, My two notion-thieving co-hosts. What are you... Brian Broman. Hello. And Just Dunks. Hey, everybody. Uh, I am not a notion thief. <laughs> I actually can draw the game. Oh. oh. Just, you got someone creeping near you. Who's uh, that? Yes. Joining me today uh, in person via my microphone is Mark Bush, a local level one judge. What? Say hello, Mark. Hello, everyone. Hello, Internet. You're famous. Now. You're Internet famous now. Oh, man. So famous. So famous. If I had a nickel for every time that happened, you'd have, have, have a nickel. I wouldn't have any nickels. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's still not interfering. You know, well, you're you're gonna you're gonna feel it uh, once this gets once this gets posted. Just the women, just <laughs> this just makes them swoon. Oh, the emails. You have to set up a filter. Oh yeah, filter. just all the. You don't know how unfortunate that is. <laughs> Uh, Mark, have you ever checked yes. the spam filter for Judge Cast? Uh, no. For no. the Judge Cast email? Yes. What's in there? Uh, some Ooh, stuff. 91 I... emails. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're Why million. We answer these. <laughs> we should. Apparently, we've been millionaire. We've been made millionaires like a dozen times this week. All right. Uh, all right. All right. Anyway, Mark. Yes. <laughs> Who are you and where are you from? Uh, I am from, I currently live in San Jose, California. Uh, I came here by way of actually New York City. Uh, moved out here and New York City. I, yeah. Oh, had to be. Scared. And I uh, actually I started off playing at uh, Jess's local store, our friendly little local game shop, which at the time was known as Superstars Game Center. So, uh, is that where you judge at, or? Actually, that's yeah, that is exactly where I judge at. That was where I started, and um, then I've also helped out at some other events. Or Channel Fireball, and that's kind of been my world of judging so far. So, so when he says other events, what he actually means is that he uh, basically single-handedly ran most of the side events at the World Magic Cup qualifier, and he had no idea what he was getting into when he started, <laughs> and uh, he had a very good idea of what he was getting into when he was done. So uh, the, he did an excellent job with that, but it was kind of trial by fire. So uh, Mark has, has done an excellent job working for us so far as, as a level one judge. And it was a really fun day, though. When I mean, did you when did you tell people when you certified as a judge and what that was like? I certified as a judge. I believe it was uh, the pre-release for Gate Crash. Isn't that right? Yeah. Uh, the pre-release for Gate Crash. The certification process was pretty ga- pretty great. Uh Jess was my mentor, and I had been coming in for a while, and obviously as I would discover kind of each different and interesting rules interaction, like a good little magic player, I would run right up to Jess and go, oh my gosh, how does this work? Or, oh my gosh, why why can't this work? And as I kind of kept diving deeper and deeper into the rules, I would have more and more conversations with Jess, and one day Jess kind of said to me, hey, you know, you have a really good interest in the rules. Um, you have a real good understanding of them. Uh, I think you should kind of look into the judge program. And I immediately ran home and took my rules advisor test. And um, 
came back to Jess with what I'd missed on that, and we talked about it, and then we talked about what the judge program was like. I spent some time. I actually am kind of a bit of a rules nerd, so I I did want to read the comprehensive rules cover to cover Wait, just are you, just for that. Are you telling speech. me? Are you telling me that a a guy that wanted to be a judge was a little bit of a rules nerd? Yeah. I, I, I know this is probably news to everyone. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, man. <laughs> Jess, where did, where did you the rest find this guy? Yes, all the time. I know. Just, <laughs> why do you think? Why do you think this judge test? This is the tests are multiple choice. It's just C, 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 C. <laughs> so once you figure out the pattern, that's the secret. Right. To help. Right. Yes. Yes. Well, actually, uh, Brian Shank, he changes it up every day. So what you have to do is you just have to, like, ship him some 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 sweets. And he gives you the today's pattern is, you know, B, C, A, B repeated, you know, 25, 50 times. That is really good information. Could you repeat his address and phone number on the podcast? Uh, <laughs> you can find him via apps.magicjudges.org. <laughs> So, Mark, did you actually read the whole comprehensive rules? I ended up reading them all. I'm sure I, I didn't absorb it all. Uh, in fact, the funny thing is whenever Jess and I talk now, he'll uh, usually give me a corner case and and, and, go, and I'll go, that doesn't even ring a bell. I need to go back and read this whole section again. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I did end up reading them. Obviously, it wasn't exactly the best way to prepare for the test. And, you know, Jess had warned me against that, uh, but I couldn't stop myself. There is a there is a love of corner cases uh, that, that eventually, I guess, I guess like a lot of a lot of new level level ones there, you know, because it, it shows the the breadth of their knowledge, the depth of their knowledge or something like that. Like I fell into the same trap, too. After a while, you just kind of like, oh, uh, another corner case. You know, what, what's oh. funny is I have a couple of judges that actually don't like that. And, and that's really kind of turns them off is when uh, to the judge program is when they see people posting questions that are just like, here's the situation. It only happens once in a blue moon and only in EDH. Like, I, I don't care. Uh, that's yeah. never going to come up in a relevant format where I'm judging. That does really doesn't help me. So like, uh, uh, whereas the rest are like, oh, that's so cool. They're like, that's not functionally useful. So why are you talking about it? <laughs> I guess, I guess it's it's where you uh, you know where you spend time where you spend most of your time is is where you should be spending most of your attention. I mean that's that is a true true fact. True facts of Brian Pilliman. True facts that I made up. Yes. <laughs> All right. Oh, so the main topic yes. of our show today. <laughs> Something else other than rules is the actual is, running of the event. Yes. How it's about how can you be the head judge of your first competitive level event? What do you need to know? What do you need to do? All of that good stuff. Who and that's why we have kill. Mark. Who you need to kill. Um, and that's why we have Mark on, because Mark, you have never been head judge of a competitive level event. Is that correct? That is correct. And you have and one coming up, right? Well, we have we have uh, a number of events coming up. Uh, we, there isn't a specific opportunity lined up, but we have available opportunities and he will be taking one of them. Oh, he is probably going to be head judging one of our pre-releases, which has many of the same challenges as a as a competitive Ariel event because of its size at our store. But uh, but yeah. that's not actually the same thing. So there will be some things following that that he'll take part in. OK, uh, unfortunately, because of the pre-release, there can't be a, there won't be anything the next couple of weeks that he can do. But I'm sure that we'll find something. Yeah, that's fine. No, never mind. Show's canceled. What? Oh. Can't do this episode. All right. It's like the ending of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Just hands up, grab the camera. Yeah, yeah, we're done. No, it's it's not that. Uh, so um, he's definitely going to be. We talked about this before. Um, he had the opportunity to uh, 
to work at a competitive REL event because you wanted to see uh, what it was like to work with the head judge, you know, because he hadn't seen that yet. And uh, that has has given him a perspective to ask some questions about what he should do when he's running it. So that's kind of what we're here to talk about today is is how what questions he has. Because it's easy for us to stand up here or sit up here or you know, spin around in our office yeah. chair up here and uh, talk about what we think you need to know about running a competitive REL event. And some of that's good, but from it's good to have the questions from somebody who doesn't know already and, and then just answer those questions kind of live on the fly. So, it also helps that we're probably all at, at least a year away from our first competitive REL event. Probably two years. I think we're all probably two years away from it. I plan on doing one in, in sometime in the next year, yes. No, no. <laughs> I mean, since we ran our first one, we're about, that's probably like two years in the past maybe for all of us. Yeah, well, close to three, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is I have no memory. Oh, I do. Oh, so so things I might think are obvious, terrifying. you know, now we're probably, I don't even remember what kind of, whatever. All right, so Mark. So let's before before let's let's set the the structure mark. Uh, what we want to do is we want to talk about you know the the stuff uh, leading up to the event, like conversations with the TO, that kind of stuff before the event. Then like the morning of the event, before the you know before the event, the morning of. Then maybe like the start you know starting the event, and then once you get that started, you're kind of in this this cycle of just continuing on the stuff that you do and then the end, you know, wrapping up the event, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that sounds great. So, so segre segregate it that way so we're not all over the place like some past podcasts maybe possibly. That, that episode I, was fine. That Stop I might be responsible for. It was all fine. It was fine. I loved it. It's Every be podcast that's been all over the place has probably been because of Brian. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> I would not disagree with that. Hey, so what do we do before an event? <laughs> Yeah, that's actually the, the, the TO was at the top of my list because that's not an area that I've worked very much in before. What conversations do you have at the TO before an event starts? Okay, so generally, um, I can I can speak to now. Obviously, your TO is an established TO. You know, they they have a lot of events, so they know the stuff that uh, are needed to run a competitive level event. But a lot of people, their first time that they come into the event, it might even be the first time the stores run a competitive level event. So there's all these questions around like, what's the, what is the compensation? That's actually some, that's a big thing that a lot of judges are kind of scared to talk about, you know, especially yeah. new ones. Like how do you approach the TO? How do you work out what is fair, amicable, that kind of thing? Because you are doing work. You know, it's fair to expect to be compensated. So, you, you know, you kind of need to open up a negotiation. And hopefully that's something that you, you do when you get offered the gig. I'm going to call it a gig to make it sound like something kind of cool instead of a nerd game. Um, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to interrupt you there and actually okay. tell you that probably nine times out of ten, maybe more than that. When a judge works at one of my events for the first time, they don't ask about compensation before they start working. As head judge? As anything. Um, and that's that's it surprises me every time. I think it's because they assume, well, obviously, they must be getting something. But uh, they don't oh, ask. Okay. They don't clarify. They don't find out. So so definitely do this, this thing where you find out. Yes. Um, I find myself quite often telling them what their compensation is in the middle of the event and have them going, oh, well, that's awesome. <laughs> 
I didn't know that. Right. And uh, I'm so, just happy to be here. Full disclosure. No. Full disclosure. As an L zero at, at 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 my first event, there was another L zero there, and we were chatting. And uh, <laughs> during the event, and Jess was the head judge. And during the event, or I know actually you weren't the head judge at the time, but we we, we were kind of poking each other and going, "Do we know if we're getting anything for this?" <laughs> experience yep. maybe okay cool, cool. <laughs> and then afterwards on facebook we'd be passing messages back and forth so we sent out that email saying that we were going to get we, we were we, we were going to get compensated for this do you think that applied to us i don't know uh let's find out let's find out just yeah, the, 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 the one person who could give us an actual answer we actually didn't bother asking. <laughs> yeah. so the the point the point is don't be afraid to ask it is an awkward situation, uh, uh, but hopefully you have a, a, a rapport with the store. You know, it's hopefully it's the store you've been doing FNMs at, and they've got a GPT, and so you you are familiar with the TO. You're comfortable enough with him to broach the subject. Um, don't be afraid to ask what you think your time is worth. You know, obviously, depending on the event, like you know, if it's an eight-person GPT that barely fires versus a you know, a 40 person, uh, a 40 person GPT or something like that, or just random uh, competitive event, the, the compensation for those two events are going to be different. Maybe you can base it on the number of players or the number of rounds or something along those lines. But don't be afraid to ask what you, you think your time is worth. Uh, and that's going to change from judge to judge. So I can't like throw an exact metric out for you. And, you know, it shouldn't be too awkward. You know, honestly, your TO should be broaching that subject before you do. And if they don't, it means one of two things. Either it's so established they aren't thinking about it uh, because it's standardized for them or they never it, have done it before. So they're not thinking about it. it. Right. So uh, so you, it's a good idea to bring it up and say, hey, I know different stores have different methods of compensating judges. So I was wondering what you had in mind or something along those lines. Right. Uh, so, so you're not like, hey, you have to pay me, but uh, you, you, you do want to broach the subject kind of gently. Yep. It also uh, sounded like other than compensate and I, because I'm a good student, I'm typing this stuff down as well. Uh, it, <laughs> it also sounded like it's it may be good that, that, that you can find out what ha, what questions you need to ask by gauging the level of experience of the T.O., if they have run a bunch of these previous events, that seems to tell you something. Yes, you'll you you have a lot less question, or you can have a lot more expectations if they've done this a lot. And you say you're writing this down. Might I suggest uh, just waiting a few days and then listening to the recording? This is a recording. <laughs> this will be released to a wide audience. I don't know. You Wait might be able, you might be able to listen to it. And... Wait a second. Can other people hear me right now? <laughs> this was not just a personal tutoring well, session. In the future, we have to be compensated for that. This is a time machine right <laughs> our words are going to go in a box and then a few days later people are going to be able to open that box and and hear what we say what what is this technology of which you speak it's wizardry it's magic crap magic okay so other other things you might want to ask the ask the to you know do they have a printer do they have a a, a computer do they have a place that you can do scorekeeping? Who's going to be doing the scorekeeping? Never heard that question before. It may sound odd. Do they have a computer? But there are stores 
where the guy who does FNM brings his laptop to do FNM every week. Yes. And if you're not that guy, you wouldn't know that. And you'll show up and suddenly be doing an event by hand if you don't ask ahead of time. <laughs> right. Do you have uh, something that I can cut the match slips with? You know, it's, you know, paper cutters are great. But sometimes you're going to be running there and you're going to be cutting match slips with scissors. Do you have tape? I've run a few events where I've been posting pairings with uh, uh, packing tape <laughs> or my favorite blue painters tape. So like the supplies that you need, you know, you know that you're going to need, you know, printers, paper or a printer, a computer, paper, updated version of Word. The other thing, who's doing the scorekeeping is because sometimes the TOs like to do that themselves. Sometimes they want to rely on you. Okay, that who's going to be doing registration because that's going to affect your planning the day of the event. The point of all this really is that every TO has a different set of expectations of what they think their judges are there to do. Uh, Now, I know that the MTR lines out what the different responsibilities TOs and judges are. But I can almost guarantee you that unless your TO is a judge, he hasn't read it. Uh, so find out what his expectations are. If, if he thinks you are going to be handling things like registration, if he thinks you are going to be bringing a computer or anything like that, you got to find out. Um, and, and unless you've worked there before, you, you have to ask ahead of time. Yep. Uh, because you'll get, otherwise you'll get that, you'll be surprised. I've had that happen a few times. Uh, I've never been there, you know, done the like surprise without a computer thing, but I have definitely shown up, uh, to run, you know, uh, 40 or so person events and there was no printer. Because, well, we just call out pairings in front of that magic. Or is the TO going to be there? Because I've run into events where I've got there, I've had the computer, I've had everything except the events in WUR. Like, I've got WUR, but I can't log on to the event because the TO is not there. To give you the password? Right. Right. (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, that that just kind of is one of those things that – you don't necessarily expect to go like, hey, are you going to be there for your event? No, you got it. I'm going to sleep in. Uh, what? <laughs> you know, so so that's that's also um, how many what the expected attendance is. You know, if it's 40 players, 50 players, you might and it's your first event, you might want a helper. If it's, yeah. you know, if it's 10 to 20, if that's the expected attendance, you should probably replace might with do do. Yeah. If it's your first ah, te- competitive event. Ah. I don't know how you do things out there on the West Coast, <laughs> but here on the East Coast, we can handle. Well, there on the East Coast, you, you 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 like to be slave drivers. Uh, so uh, on the East Coast, you do eight times as many judges as you know as you need, Brian. Uh, don't even. It sounds like SoCal. You guys have so many more judges at the Florida events. So because we love our events more than <laughs> related to the uh the the get an estimated player count. Uh, I I would ask the TO to go ahead and print out deck lists and have those ready. Yep. Because a lot of times, because basically every competitive level event is going to have deck lists and they can go ahead and have those printed the night before so you're not scrambling to print them during registration or anything like that. Yeah, and just for for reference, and this is something we should put in the show notes, those can be found at the DCI.com slash docs, D-O-C-S, where you will find all of the other judgely documents like the MTR and the IPG. There is also a constructed uh, deck list form there, and there is... Uh, there are all of the checklists for your limited uh, deck registration needs as well. When it comes to all these supplies, though, that you guys are calling out, is there, I mean, I, I have, despite this mystical 
magical recording technology still been typing. Um, is the, is there a list on the Judge Wiki of all these things, or is there is there is there? I don't believe so. No, no. And and most of this stuff, again, most of this stuff is stuff that the TO should, you know, should be there. Um, this is basically just you as head judge covering your butt because you don't want to show up and find out that there's no printer. You don't want to show up and find out that the expected attendance is 60 people and it's just you. You don't want to find out that uh, what's what's. Oh, here's a here's here's a fun one uh, from a, an event I had. The the store is holding a Pokemon pre-release in the store at the exact oh same time, and there's a lot more of them than there are of you, and they <laughs> keep crowding your event. I mean, those are things like you you might not be able to do anything about it, but it's still kind of good to know. Is there anything going on at the same time? How much space is there? Yes. Things like that. And, and these are these are you know we don't want to spend too much time with talking to your TO, but basically just get a feel for how the event. Is expected to be run in the TO's mind mm-hmm. versus how it might actually right. be run. Right. And yeah. if he's done it a lot, if he's done it a lot before, you don't have to ask these questions. If it's a store that you go to a lot and you know the 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 stuff they've got there, don't worry about that. You can make the you can make the assumption that hey, the printer's still going to be there. Hey, the computer's still going to be there. But that if this thing. is a, but if this is a TO who uh, is is this a store that's really excited because this is their first Grand Prix trial, you want to ask a lot of questions yes yes now if we're talking about before the event starts and talking to the to if you are going to have a helper or a team is there any communication that you have with anyone other than the to before the event starts yes yeah that depends sorry cj go on no i was gonna say i mean that really depends on on the area if sometimes the to does have somebody that they want to be another judge to help you sometimes you uh, hopefully you have some kind of local group or something i think in california you guys definitely do wait there are other judges here yes i thought we were the only two yeah well you're not gonna have if it's your first event you're probably not going to have you know a huge you know 150 person event okay mm-hmm. it's it's probably going to be uh, uh if it's competitive it's going to be smaller maybe larger if it's a pre-release but you probably won't need to break things down into teams. I mean, realistically, no. I think for this conversation, we should assume max of one or two helpers. Yes. Okay. And the TO might assign them. You might get to pick them. And if you do, or actually in either case, you should let those people know what the expectations are, what time to be there, what the appropriate dress code is. Yes. Which should be all black. You know, black turtleneck, ponytail, uh, yeah. horn rim glasses. Exactly. Uh, cigarettes. Typically, it's all black uh, for for judges, but it can be anything. If there's if there's a store T-shirt that people wear, that could be appropriate. Um, yeah. it, just something that identifies them as both prof- uh, you know a professional appearance and a judge for the event is fine, even if they don't have a magic judge shirt. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. So yeah, those those are kind of the expectations. Now, as you get as you come along to larger events, then the emails will start to becoming more and more uh, detailed as to what's expected. And the, the team structure is going to to be more rigid and more formalized. So uh, do you have any other questions about stuff to talk to the TOs and the other judges about before the, in the days leading up to the event? No, actually, given all the organization that we were kind of talking about, I'm, I'm, actually now much more interested about more interested in what the heck happens when 
that stuff doesn't happen. <laughs> we could talk about when stuff goes wrong in a little bit. Let's yeah. talk about what we do to make yeah. sure it doesn't go wrong. Yeah. Yeah, you just do the best you can. I mean, that's it, right? Like, you just make it work. It just mentioned you end up pairing everything by hand. I mean... <laughs> You got, you got to do what you got to do. Keep that Swiss algorithm in your head. I mean, I think the largest event I've ever run by hand was probably like 16 or 17 people. 16 is way easier than 17. Mine's um, zero. <laughs> yeah. We did a pre-release with 25 people, uh, which was which was uh, fun. But I should mention, I always bring my laptop to events when I'm a head judge of the event, and it's a TO I don't know very well. And even if I never end up using it, I usually end up using it as a clock because a lot of these events don't have clocks. Yes. So there's something you can do. The the oh, yeah, that was the other thing. Wi-Fi Internet connection. Oh, that seems like a big deal. Yeah, because we're we're has to have the Internet connection. So you can have a computer, you can have a printer, you can have all that good stuff. But if you don't got no Internet. You might have that's to. actually not that big of a deal uh, as oh. long as as long as uh, you have the sanctioning number of the event in question, uh, you could make that work. But uh, your TO should know how to do that if they don't have an internet connection because they probably do it all the time for FNM. Okay. And if the, if they don't, then you may need to get WPN guys involved. But just make a new unsanctioned event, run it, send it to, or have the TO deal with it. He'll send it to to Wizards with the sanctioning number, and they'll get it taken care of. Like, don't let that stop you. Just make a new event in Wizards Event Reporter and run it. And the TO is responsible for getting a copy of Wizards Event Reporter, right? Yes. You're, you're not supposed to be carrying one around with you. Right. Okay. In fact, but you can get be, it. You can get it. Uh, it used to be you couldn't even get it unless you were a TO, which was yeah. a terrible system because TOs yes. didn't know where they were supposed to look for it. And the judges were going, well, I can't get to it because I'm not a TO. And uh, so they, they opened that up. You can get to it now if you know where to look. And where to look should probably be in the show notes. So we'll include that as well. Right. Where to get do a we copy actually, of- when we say we're going to include stuff in the show notes, do we actually do that? Yes. Oh, yeah, okay. we do. Uh, CJ is on top of that, like, constantly. Awesome. Yeah. CJ is so on top of that. Right, if, if anybody hadn't figured this out yet from our, from our shows, um, CJ is like the glue that holds the whole show together. Uh, he keeps us on schedule. He does the show notes. He does most of the editing and is like... 99% of the workforce behind getting JudgeCast functioning. So thank you, CJ, and keep doing that, and you're awesome. And if any credit for the show goes to anybody, it should be to CJ. Anyway, no, that's it. <laughs> all right. Thank you. You're Random welcome. accolades. I'm cutting out all the rest of the show. The show is just <laughs> that long now. So uh, anyway, so Mark, what else What else uh, did you want to talk so about? We, as far as so we, we've kind of covered a little – you've got a lot – you guys give me a lot of information about the things I should be doing beforehand. But one of the things that was interesting that you mentioned was the morning of. See, I was ready to skip straight straight to the event, but uh, I, I, I'm not sure. So, so someone mentioned we should talk about the morning of, and am I supposed to be doing something the morning of the event? You know, I feel a lot of preparing for an event is done before the event, particularly as head judge, is done before the event and put uh, done the morning. You know, like after round two, yeah, yeah. it's pretty much all a breeze easy mode yeah but before that point that's where that's where all the real work is <laughs> it's this constant feeling of the wheels are about to come off the bus and yes. then and then suddenly oh just nothing <laughs> so what are you what are you doing that morning of what what are you what are you taking care of so when when you when you arrive at the event and hopefully, how long by the way when do you arrive at the event how long before did you show up i like about a half an hour before registration starts. That's a good idea. Uh, you want to be able to, as the head judge, 
take a look at what's about to happen and decide if it's going to be a problem before it becomes a problem. So if you if if you get a, get there half an hour before registration starts and you're sitting around for half an hour doing nothing, that's great. If you get yes. there half an hour before registration starts and he's going, so we're going to do registration here and uh, after we're done with registration, we'll set up all the tables and chairs and, uh, and get get everything ready to go. Is that okay? And you're like, no, no, that's no. not okay. You and, and they gives you a little buffer time to fix that kind of significant problem, which hopefully you can the TO will help you with, and you won't be doing it yourself. Right. But like other than that, like it kind of goes with that. Like just imagine to yourself what your players need, what you have to do when the events. Like when you are about to start an event, think, okay, so what do I have to do? Uh, we need to post seatings, or or we need to post pairings, and then we need to get everybody sat down. And once everybody sat down, I need to make an announcement. And I'll say some stuff. What stuff am I going to say in my announcement? I don't even know. Like, let's make a list of the stuff I need no. to say in my announcement. I normally spend the, the first half hour or so confirming that all the stuff that I talk to the TO about being there is actually there. It's actually yeah. there. You know, he said there was a computer. Where's the computer? He said he said there was going to be, you know, tape. Where's the tape? Um, right. And you may you may find that that uh, the answer to these questions is over there in that corner. You can set them up set them up whenever you like. Uh, so you have to be aware of that ahead of time. So that's what that time. Um, it, it, it's almost like that right. time is for that. Just right. in case. Sometimes, yeah. It's usually just in case time. Like you'd rather pad your schedule a little bit uh, with extra time. Yep. Then show up exactly at the moment you need to be there to find out there's more than you expected. And that you're already behind. Yeah. Right. But but question, questions that you want to 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 think about when you first get there and the room is empty. Okay. Where are you going to put your pairings? Where do you want table number one to start? Basically, how are the how what the order of the tables is going to be? You know, where's table one, and what the what the pattern of the snake is going to be? And we did mention it earlier, but table numbers are another thing that you need to make sure are there. Yes, for the event. Right. So those those kind of things, you know, figure out how many chairs are at each table. Those things are much easier to figure out before players start tearing up the room. <laughs> You know, are there trash cans? You know, there a lot of the, so a lot of these things are actually TO issues, especially like the trash cans and such. So don't spend too much time fretting about that, but just be aware that that these things uh, are, are going to be a concern. If there's you know a soda machine in the middle of your in the middle of your event area, you may not want to put table one right next to that soda machine because there's going to be a lot of traffic there. Yeah. So you, you want to look at the look at around the room and see throughout the rounds how is this going to be how is this actually going to work through the event? Just kind of visualize it in your head and, and don't, you know, sit there meditating on it like a Zen master forever, but just kind of think about it and go, hey, yeah. does this, does this and, work? And then, you know, obviously uh, the event's going to shrink. So plan the uh, spacing of the tables or the snake of the tables or, or how things are going to be structured so that as the event shrinks, you don't have a long way to go to cover things. We had, for example, at this was the trials at I want to say GP Dallas like two years ago. They ran the grinders in just a single row all the way down the venue hall. I don't know why they decided to do this, but like grinder one took up one row of tables. Grinder two took up the, the next, uh, the next row just all the way down in one big giant long straight line. I think they did this at GP Atlanta a couple of years ago. Uh, so grinder number 32 seat eight yelled judge. 
You ran a well, marathon. Yes. Well, what, what the, yeah. Basically, what happened was is as the grinder as those as the grinder shrunk, the space between the events didn't, and they were all spread out. And you basically right. so had, when grinder one finishes, grinder two is still several table lengths away. Yeah. And there's nobody sitting there where grinder one was. Gotcha. Right. So in, instead, it would be. You know, that's that's kind of an extreme. Obviously, we're not we're not talking about that, but just kind of think about where as your event shrinks, you know, where you want the where you want those players to be at and then where you're going to stick side events if there are any. Most of the time there aren't for event for events of the size we're talking about. Most of the yeah. time there will be I mean, a draft an eight man might fire or something like that. So so keep that keep that into consideration. Be sure before the event, here's some some very important things. You know, we, we tell you stress, take care of yourself, drink water before before the event even starts. Make sure you've got food in your belly before you walk in the door or you're walking in the door with food. Because once you get started doing things, you really don't stop until about round two, round three. So be sure that you are taking care of yourself. And maybe not even then if it's a very busy event. Right. Honestly, like it's it's if there are more players than you expected, you may not have the time to take a break when you expected to. So eating ahead of time is well, very good. Speaking of that, more, more players. Is there a is there kind of a is there like a recommended the judge to player ratio? I I think it depends who you ask and also what kind of event it is. So for a regular REL event, I'm a lot more lenient on the judge to player ratio because we're not checking deck lists, right? Right. Uh, But I think at uh, for me and my events, assuming that the judges that I have are uh, at least moderately experienced and they're not L0s who have never worked an event before and I'm training them, then we're talking, I would probably go with uh, 1 to 40-ish. And then once you hit over 100, you probably want another one. I, um, I like I like three per hundred. I mean, you know, up to I mean, that breaks down a little bit, but one for every 33. And that kind of holds you up to about 200. I mean, yeah, once you get to once you get to like one floor judge per per 30, you're actually getting into like head judges falling asleep territory because uh, there's nothing to do. But but if you get a very far above 40, then you run into the other problem where there aren't enough judges to right. do anything. Um, and, and obviously for a pre-release or for some other regular element where you're not checking deck lists, there's a lot more floor coverage available. So this you can you can get a little bit more uh, into that ratio. Bang for your buck, yeah. Uh, but you want to make sure that, you know, especially if it's your first event, you probably don't want to be doing more than about 20 or 30 people by yourself because you probably haven't haven't had the experience of trying to do deck checks in a hurry uh, right. by yourself and, and things of that nature. Um, and so, and I think I think one judge for forty person, like if you've got a forty person event, uh, I th- I, I kind of think that that forty is about where more than forty, and you you start to your performance starts to suffer. Like you just can't pay attention. Your your attention is being pulled in all these different directions, and you can't focus on all the stuff that you need to in order to make sure that the players have the best experience possible. So yeah, forty ish is is kind of the the top of the peak for me. And once you once you get over it. it, it your performance starts to degrade. That being said, with most judges at most competitive REL events, anything over 20 is totally justified for for having two judges, for a head judge and one more. So yeah, that, that's what I was about to jump in so, is um, 
particularly when I get up into like seventies or eighties, I, I really like to have three judges if I can, just because that way I can have two judges doing deck checks and one judge on the floor, and I never have to have nobody on the floor. Or yeah. better, one judge on break, and you still have two judges on the floor. That too, yes, mm-hmm. yes, Abs- yeah, absolutely, and, and that's that's uh, you know, it really depends on on your preference. It depends on how experienced your judges are, including yourself. Uh, it also depends on whether or not you're doing your own scorekeeping. If you are not doing your own scorekeeping, if you have a scorekeeper there, the TO is there doing the scorekeeping for you. It, it really frees you up a lot to do a lot. Oh, it more. does. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, you, 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 the other thing is, uh, in Mark's case specifically, uh, the judges that he sees running events on a regular basis are myself and Josh Silvestri. Uh, and that's really not a fair example to try and live up to. I'm not trying to do my own horn here, uh, but <laughs> with, with things that we run like our F and M's and things like that, you'll see us break that player ratio constantly this is not what you should be trying to do. <laughs> got um, it. <laughs> it's not uncommon for us to be like 110. I got this. <laughs> so so don't try to do that. Don't be Superman. If if you if your TO goes, you know, we expect probably 50, 60 people, but I think you know, I, I thought one day should be okay. Don't go. Yeah, okay, yeah, I can do it. So you know, I think we really need somebody else to help with that. A way to explain this to TO though is it, is it looks bad when like you're handling a call and somebody else makes a call. And that call doesn't get handled, and the guy's like, "Where's the judge?" You know, he's looking around, or uh, you're doing a deck check, and someone makes a call. Yep, uh, it looks bad. The 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 uh, players at the store don't blame the judge; they blame the store. They think the store has, you know, bad judges. This is what staff. the store event is like. But even at yes. a small event, though, like if I if there's if I'm head judging a small event and there's only 20 players, how do you work that out logistically when I, I'm in the middle of doing a deck check and somebody makes a call, and so my assumption is I, may, I take the call right away, but then I'm delaying two other players. Like, how do you guys end up working balancing that out? So your assumption is correct that you should definitely address the players. So first of all, you have to when you're in the middle of a deck check and you're looking at okay, there's a, there's a judge call coming. Um, I have a 20 person event. Uh, this means that according to the MT, uh, the the MTR, yeah, the MTR, uh, I should check at least 10 percent of the deck. So I need to check at least two decks, right? So I'm going to do a deck check. I get partway through one deck and there's a judge call. Now, if you can answer the call and still keep your eyes on those decks, then answer the call. If you can't do this, finish the deck check. Like, just end it right now. Don't don't actually go through the motions of it, but end it. Because the last thing you want to do is leave somebody's legacy deck sitting on the table where somebody else can run up and grab it. Got it. Um, That's a good point. But but if you can if you can stand up, if there are just a couple tables away from you and you could stand up and go, you know, answer their call, find out if it's a quick call. If it's, you know, uh, judge, I, this guy dealt this much damage and then I tried to regenerate it. Is it dead? No, no, it's not dead. Oh, okay, thanks. Then, then that's fine. Uh, go back to the deck check and finish it. If it's, you know, judge, I think my opponent drew an extra card four turns ago and we need to figure it out right now. <laughs> Hold on. I'll be right back. Go take your decks, put them back together, give them back to the players and have them keep playing and then go back to the the, the judge call. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Which we, sh- we should mention that the vast majority of questions you get are more like the regeneration one. Yes, they yeah. are. <laughs> like the vast majority of things you answer are um, just right. so quick. And, and the odds are... Normally, most judge calls, or or at least the the perception is at the smaller events, most judge calls happen round one, you know, maybe maybe round two, mm-hmm. and then so round three, you know, I haven't had too many uh, judge calls while doing the deck checks, like. Like you really don't get a whole whole lot uh, at the smaller at the smaller competitive events. I mean, obviously your mileage may vary, 
but I wouldn't worry so so much. You could probably you'll probably get a judge call in a quarter of the calls, or you'll get and, a you'll get a call in a quarter of the times. Yeah, and do you yourself do a favor when when you're deck checking and somebody calls a judge, look up at the table before you get up and run over there, because if it's just one guy sitting at the table, it's a tardiness penalty. Tell him to hold on a minute and finish your deck check. Oh yeah, yeah. that makes yeah, sense. That's a good call. Oh uh, and. Yeah, when you when you sit down to do the deck check, sit on the side of the table where you can face the event. <laughs> uh, it's it's something that seems kind of small, but uh, yeah, make sure that your back is not to the event when you do your deck check. Mm-hmm. So we've we've strayed into what to do during an event. Do we have anything else we want to talk about um, the morning of to prepare? I would like to stress again to be aware of what you're going to say during your head judge announcements. Yep. So many judges go, well, I basically know how head judge announcements work. I, I'll just say the same things everybody else says when I get up there. And you get up there and you go, so there's some magic today. And, uh, <laughs> We're going to magic. It's, it's, We're going to yeah. have... We're going to have... How many uh, rounds is that? Uh, yeah, I don't know Four. how many rounds we have. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, and right, we're playing right. for some prizes. Uh, I don't know what they are, but we are playing for some prizes. There was, and, you know, there was you an event I was at. It was a TCG player event, and the judge announced it as a Star City event. <laughs> Awkward. I can't uh, yeah, it was a story. Uh, I did that for my first, by accident, for my first event at Channel Fireball. Uh, I, oh. I announced it as a Star City Games event. Eric Levine about jumped over the counter at me. It was hilarious. <laughs> uh, yeah, so make make sure you know who's actually, uh, you know, make sure it seems trivial. Make sure you know what store you're at and who, what event it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, you definitely do that. You know, give credit where credit's due. Be like, hey, this is such and such store's uh, Grand Prix trial. Um, and and tell them you know tell them what the format is you know today is a standard Grand Prix trial we have X players we're playing X rounds uh, the, the with tell them whether or not you're playing with the the modified play draw rule and, and kind of line the stuff up before you get to that point take a few minutes write down the things you think you're gonna say and if you're anything like me that still won't help you very much so actually go into the bathroom look at a mirror and give your head judge announcements to yourself this is what i did for a long time right and i, I gave I, my 100 agree i'm, I'm uh, in the then, beginning of uh eight mile you know where eminem's like staring at the in the mirror in front of himself psyching himself up just dunks yo you know i've never seen Eight Mile. yeah so i, I lost over my head <laughs> Going. So we're on, but we're we're onto the announcements. But can we talk? Can we rewind just a little bit and talk about the logistics of making those announcements? Because I have kind of a weird question. Okay. Are those in, the announcements come before the event? But we haven't talked about the player meeting. Is there a player meeting? When do you have a player meeting? Like, yeah. So normally, what what you do is you get were and you print out a list of uh, an alphabetical list of the players uh, with with seat them by their name so that you know they're there alphabetically. The reason why you do this and the reason why that's nice is when you pick up the deck lists, you're going to be picking them up in roughly alphabetical order. Oh, that is um, a good idea. So yeah, if, yeah. You, if you were running so, an event by yourself and it, and it's and you're breaking the twenty person mark, it's probably a good idea to pick them up to do a player meeting. Uh, if you don't do a player meeting, yeah, it won't be the end of the world. 
But it's probably a good idea, uh, especially if you have a large group of players that don't necessarily know don't necessarily know this store, uh, because if you don't have a player meeting, they will sit down across from each other. And instead of listening to your announcements, they will start shuffling cards and start talking to each other and trying to figure out what the other guy is playing and presenting their decks. And if you have the player meeting, they will feel really stupid if they start doing this because that's not their opponent. So they won't. That being said, don't spend too much time if you have a player meeting because it it is kind of a waste to an an event. Well, you answered my question, though, about doing it alphabetically. That's a good idea. Yeah, that's the the best reason. I've been to other stores where you're you're absolutely right. I've been to other stores where the round – you sat across from your round one opponent at the player meeting and – yeah, but you're yeah. doing as you're setting and up that's, in your and that's fine. That's that's fine for smaller, you know, in the you you've got the eight person GPT that just barely fired. You know, sure, sit them around across uh, mm-hmm. from the first round opponent. A lot of times, you want them to be known that they're sitting across their first round opponent because. They might, if they think it's a player meeting, then they might pull their deck out and be sleeving things up and filling out their deck list and stuff like that. And players sometimes don't like telling their opponent what's in their deck. Sometimes. Sometimes. I mean, you know, go figure, right? So I've had players go so far as to actually be filling out the wrong deck list and then, like, switch them before they hand it to the judge to, like, psych their opponent out in round <laughs> one. Like, like, they're filling out what looks to be an Esper list, and then they close it and fold it up, and they, they switch one out, and they actually hand, like, a Naya Blitz list to the to the judge. Wow. And, wow. That's so hardcore. for not any benefit. Okay, sure, fine. You're clever. <laughs> Mental magic. Mental magic. Yes. Yeah. But, but ba- basically, I mean, you can... You still want to have a quote-unquote player meeting. You might not seat them for a player meeting, but you still want to have your head judge opening announcements. Okay, yes, whether, whether very important. Whether you set them for round one, I mean, you need to let them know things like the you know the modified play draw rule, what the tardiness policy for the event is, you know how many rounds it's going to be, uh, if there's not a clock. Yeah, where to take match. If there's not a clock, how are they going to know how much time is left in the round? You know, those types of of things. And uh, And to briefly answer that question, if there's not a clock, you should print out a sheet that says the round will end at X time uh, and then post that. You should not just be doing the you've got 10 minutes left announcement. That's that's way less effective than posting a written sign that says the round will end at X time. You can do both, but don't don't just do, hey, guys, you got five minutes left. (laughs) Hey, thanks. Because you have other things to worry about as the right. judge of the event. Um, one of one of one of the things I like to do, uh, and this is I've learned this by watching other judges. They do it at GPs and stuff like that. Is give the players, tell them, you know, hey, take out your deck list, and I'm going to give you guys a minute. Make sure your deck is your deck list is at least sixty cards, and your sideboard is zero or fifteen. I know we haven't talked about sealed any at all so i i i have a funny story about that and i for anyone listening Love. i'm sorry don't do this uh but <laughs> it's a, one of my favorite stories about uh eric levine when he used to run these kinds of events at, at channel fireball he would he would make an announcement. he'd go out among the players and he has this big booming eric levine voice who doesn't use a microphone and and uh he goes everybody take out your deck list and look at it and he'll find a table where somebody's not doing that and he'll stand over them and go i said take out your deck list and look at it and 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 they'll just look up at him like what and 
Like, he actually, like, makes them get their deck list out and look at it before he will continue with his announcements. Right. And also, during that time, just make sure they have their name on it. Yes. Yes. So many people won't have their name yeah. on it. And that's and that's why uh, if you go to, like, GPs and some larger events, they ask you to take a moment to put your table number on the deck list because players forget to even though you tell them to write their name they forget but for some reason they seem to write remember to write i mean when you tell them to write their name they don't necessarily do it but when you tell them to write their table number they do it's kind of weird for anyone not making the connection if you're doing a player meeting they're seated alphabetically so the table numbers are listed alphabetically and you can just go oh this is table you know 10 this means it goes between tables 9 and and 11 so right and i have i have someone i i know which two players sat at table 10 and I have a deck list for one of them. So it's (laughs) the other guy. By the process of elimination. Except when you get three tens, which is another thing that can can happen. Yeah. Uh, Three different table tens? Or three different lists that say they're from table 10. Oh, that would be awkward. Because somebody read the wrong table number. They they went, what's that table number down there when there's one sitting right next to them? Oh, it's a 10? Okay, I'm going to do that. What? But you, you looked at the seatings. It said 12. You sat at 12, and now you put 10. I don't understand. Anyway, does that answer your question about uh, player meetings? It does. It seems like it, it, it seems like it's kind of a lot of it depends on the size of the event. Yeah. And if it's, easy, if, it's, if it's easier, if there's if, like if, if you have a smaller group, it's not as logistically necessary to have a separate have a player meeting separate from the first round. Right. Does that pretty kind of sum it up? And yes. Okay. All of those all of those those public speaking tips that you hear about. I mean, those work for this too. Don't have the player. Don't have the 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 opening announcement. Please don't visualize them naked. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, man. But don't let those words be the first time they've come out of your mouth. Okay. Practice them it in all front applies. of a, practice them in front of a mirror. You know, do whatever calming techniques you need to do to to psych yourself up. Any 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 of those tricks that you're used to. And if you're if you're I'll say timid, the timid type. You know, maybe focus on the one or two guys that you know. You know, when you speak to the players, speak to the three guys that you know and just kind of like move across the room with your eyes, something like that. Because I'm assuming, you know, 20, 20 people, you should be able to to look around. It'll give the appearance, even though you're just bouncing back and forth between three points, it'll give the appearance that you're looking around the room and making eye contact with a variety of different people. The, the reverse of that being, if you're like me and you're way too overcome confident the exact opposite can happen where you're standing up in front of the players and you didn't practice beforehand and you completely forget which way you pass first in a draft and then you decide to have interactive judge announcements <laughs> that aren't very interactive when you say interactive what do you what do you mean it's like okay guys who knows how we pass in a draft and, and, yeah. and, and guess how eager magic players are to answer you in that environment not not at, not all. at all yeah not at all crickets 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 Sometimes uh, another uh, a thing that I like to do, speaking of interactivity, this is it's a Florida thing. I haven't seen this in, in events outside of Florida is we actually like to when we're telling the players, you know, it's like, hey, guys, uh, if you have any questions, concerns, raise your hand up high, call for a judge. And we actually make the players practice it. And the players here at least love it, you know, because they get to, you know, raise their hand and yell judge or Montresor or whatever. They get to be silly, goofy, that kind of thing. But it, it definitely helps if they know how to call for a judge. 
because one of the most obnoxious things is you hear judge and you turn around and you can't tell who called. Shouldn't be too much of an issue at a 20 person event, but uh, it's still a, a good habit. It'll it'll pay well at the larger events, the PTQs and the GPs and stuff like that. Yeah, I always try to really reinforce that they need to raise their hand and keep their hand raised because a lot of times they'll just raise their hand when they call and then put it back down. It's like, what do you how do you think I'm going to find you? Well, in a 20 person event, you can just, you know, you can just walk up the aisle and the, whoever's sweating. <laughs> Uh, so one last thing about the uh, judge announcements is if you go to um, judgebooklet.com, they have a nice little booklet you can print out. And part of it is a, a head judge announcement, uh, kind of like cheat sheet, uh, like an outline of things you should say. I, I always found it pretty helpful as as the starting basis of what my announcements will be. Yes, uh, there there are uh, several apps and this this might even go in the into the into the before event prep. You know, having a uh, smartphone uh, with Oracle text on it is very, very beneficial. You know, you know, judge, what's the what's the Oracle text on uh, Aurelia's Fury here? <laughs> you know, those those that is something that will save you a whole lot of time is if you have a wait, a wait, wait, what? You, you can't just quote it to them. Oh, the dead silence. Like I asked that yeah. question. No, actually, no. What? No, I can't. <laughs> it does like it does like X something splits it up. Yeah, definitely. There's an X in there. I agree with that. There's definitely an X in there, and I think it's I think it's red white, and it I might be an instant of sorcery. Specifically with Aurelius Fury, this is a good example of why you should look it up in Oracle Text because I actually messed this one up. Because Aurelius Fury, I said, oh, it's he he uh, he pays X and it deals X damage divided he chooses among any number of creatures or players. And it taps those creatures and if he uh, and if he hit you with it, it silences you, which is actually not true. It says you can't cast non-creature spells, and so I actually messed this up because then this guy thought he couldn't play creatures. Yeah, you know uh, what? And let's go on a tangent there real quick. Is uh, if someone asks you for Oracle text, give them Oracle text. Don't. Yes. <laughs> uh, I I had a, one of my very very first events. I, I know a judge messed up um the casting cost of something and a player wanted to know it before he went looking through his deck and uh just just actually look it up it doesn't matter how you know don't it doesn't matter if it's shatter everyone knows shatter just look it up naturalize was a better example better example than shatter i don't know man my first thought was the ice age version where it had the tin men blowing up <laughs> no well i just got really really nervous for a second started sweating because i didn't know what shatter was so then you heard naturalize that was okay yeah, yeah it's it's yeah. the bad half of naturalize <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's that's a judge what's the oracle text on shatter it's the bad half of naturalize oh okay thanks <laughs> and it's red <laughs> and it's red thanks judge thanks judge so one one of the other things, I guess, the last things before we actually get into the mechanics of the event itself is before the event, you're going to be potentially asked, are altars OK? You're going to be asked if sleeves are OK. You know, oh, yeah, no, obviously. Yep. Yeah. You're head judge now, man. You get it's your call. Those anime babes on the islands, you get to say, get those out of there. <laughs> That that plain mat with the upskirt shot, uh, no. <laughs> um, oh God. You know, you know uh, this actually oh, it has. It has. Oh, it has. They, oh I've seen way anime, more explicit. Like, like a, a thing people do where, like, there's some artist out there who sells this stuff on eBay where it's just, like, a Zendikar Full Art Island yeah. with just a random naked or nearly naked anime girl painted on it, like, for no apparent reason. And, and they'll be like, yeah, hey, can I play with these? It's artistic. No, it's not. <laughs> It's pornography. <laughs> At the 5K, 
I had a guy with a play mat with it was an anime girl. It had I would say like a good I don't even know how to describe this. CJ, please bleep me out if this is necessary. It had like a good five inch camel toe on it. And I, it was just, I don't know how to edit that. I don't know how to edit that either. So that's going to just stay in. You, you can add a beeping noise. Right. Like, I don't actually think it's necessary, but you can add a beep, beep toe. Yeah. Like, what am I going to do? So anyway, like, I'm like, uh, you're not going to be really, just, just real the whole good. thing. So he had a five inch beep. I think that's way funny. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen some that are just so bad that I'm not even going to describe them on this show because it wouldn't be appropriate. Uh, but, you know, going back to things that will happen slightly more often, people will come up to you and they'll go, hey, well, these alter, are these alters okay? And they, you'll either say, yes, this is fine, or you'll say, no, this is not fine. And usually they will follow up with a, why is this not fine? And sometimes you have the time to explain to them why it's not okay with either the altered cards policy or the marked cards policy, which a lot of alters break the marked cards policy, by the way, and not the altered cards policy, um, is and sometimes you actually don't have the time. You have to tell them, I'm sorry, I can talk about this with you later after the tournament has started, but right now I have to get the tournament running and I can't allow you to play with those cards. And you just give them a direct instruction. And they may not like that, but at least let them know. If you have to do that, let them know that they can come and talk to you about it later. Because that's what they really want to know, is that mm -hmm. they can. Even if they don't come back and talk to you later, they want to know that you, you'll talk to them about it. Um, and explain to them why their, you know, modified Liliana to have her naked is not okay. Oh. <laughs> or they might ask, you know, it's like, hey, judge, are these, car are these sleeves okay? Or are these cards marked? And normally the answer is yes. Because yes. if, if they're bad enough that the player is, like, on the fence, then... You're, you're gonna you know if the player's noticing enough to come and ask you then yeah they're probably they're the answer is yes they're probably too bad to to use well one th and one thing i noticed sean doing before the wmcq was being um really clear with players who would come up with foils and saying right now these look good but it's going to be a long day and there's a lot of humidity in this room so i'm saying right now that they look good but later on they could end up curling from the, you know from whatever and they may not be good right your your answer as to what's okay from a mark cards perspective uh, and like sleeves and stuff like that is always it's fine right now if if it really is fine that's not a a global blanket it's fine for the rest of the event yeah all right. You know, so, one more thing before the event that I think was so obvious none of us said it, but uh, read the IPG. What? I mean, if you if if you're a head judge of your first competitive level event, it could be it could be that you've never worked a competitive event. So make sure you read, read the, the IPG. Yeah. Make sure you read the IPG. Uh, if this is your first competitive event and you have you know you've only judged like one event before, you probably shouldn't be the head judge of this event, but. If you are, try to get somebody involved as, as another judge who has some more experience to help you out. They don't have to be the head judge necessarily. There's this stigma right. that the head judge has to be the most experienced judge in the room, and that's not actually true. It used to be that way, uh, but that's a bad system. So if you can find somebody else more experienced to be be not there. the head judge so that yeah. the, so that you can be like, well, as the head judge, I'm doing this, and they can kind of poke you and be like, you know, maybe you shouldn't do it that way because – 
and it's somebody's opinion that you that you at least respect, then then that's really good to have nearby uh, right. as a safety net. Uh, if you've never done this before, uh, and hopefully you've you've actually worked at some you know regular ale events, you understand how judge calls work and things of that nature. So this isn't like actually your first event ever, but um, yeah. yeah. But I, I I've seen that situation so many times though, where you know random store employee becomes level one because they're running all these regular events, and they're like, oh, now we can have GPTs because we have someone who can be head judge of them. And and that's it, right? They have like very little interaction with the outside world. Yeah, right. It's it is. So they're probably not listening to this anyway. It's very scary when you you certify a judge and he's like, "Great, now I can judge my stories GPT next week." Exactly. Exactly. You're like what? What? Oh, we got a lot of work to do. I mean, I've, I've actually gotten to the point where I add, when do you plan to judge your first competitive event into my list of, of questions I ask when somebody wants to become a judge? Oh, now here's an interesting, would you, if they said, oh, next week, uh, would you not test them as a result of that? Well, I mean, if they're, if they're wanting me to test them, if there's somebody I've never talked to before and they want me to test them before next week, it's probably not happening anyway. For level one? Yeah. I won't. I, I unless you're out from out of the area uh, and have worked with okay, someone else, okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna test you without having worked at an event with me. But that being said, I run 12 events a week, so it's really easy to schedule that. Yeah, I was gonna say that. That's interesting. I just make sure the people have done events. Yeah, I, I'll talk to I'll talk to the the TO. Uh, you know, I'll talk to the judge to get a vibe. I'll talk to the TO, find out if there's any issues or problems. Maybe a few players get a get a vibe for how they do. Okay, so that's. That's yeah. <laughs> that's working on the topic there. Okay. So... One addition to that topic, though, when I was learning the IPG, if uh, R- Ryan Stapleton has actually made flashcards and put them on the Judge Wiki, and it, it they go into any kind of flashcard program for the IPG, and it's really really handy. Uh, so for anyone out there who's trying to learn the IPG, that's a really really good resource. Thanks for yet another link that I have to add to the show notes. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I can come up with more. And you and you're all you're all like, uh, there's this thing out there that has it's really helpful but you don't actually know the url oh it is the documents okay. and files section of, of wiki.magicjudges.org all right wizards.net backslash all right, all right it's fine this show's going long let's keep talking <laughs> okay so we've gone up through we've made the opening announcements we've collected the lists we now start you know we put the pairings up for round one uh hopefully that's actually lunch, something right? Yeah. When you, when you give them the minute to check their deck lists, that's actually not a bad time to go print out the pairings if you haven't done that already. It's um, also your lunch break. Yeah, that's your lunch break. <laughs> um, post post the pairings, and then you're gonna need to start counting the lists. Now, here here is something a rookie mistake that I made very early on. Um, when you grab the lists, you you post the pairings, and all the players sit down, and you go over to start counting lists. Please, please, please remember to start the event. You know, hey guys, you have 50 minutes. The time is 11.30. You have 50 minutes. You may now be again. I just posted pairings. Players would said, I got the lists, sat down, started counting. And it was like, Judge, can we Judge, start? Can we start? Yeah. <laughs> Judge, can we start? And I was like, I am an idiot. I am an absolute idiot. Yes, of course you can start. You have 50 minutes. You may begin. And so that's what you spend round one doing, counting lists, answering judge calls. So the the counting of the lists, you you want to obviously look at, you know, whether they have the at least the 60 cards in the main deck, uh, uh, 0, 15 cards in the sideboard. You want to make a glance at the names, make sure everything's legal. I guess we'll probably talk about more about the details of this at some episode in the future. 
Yes. Um, one trick that was just actually taught to me this past weekend, which I thought was I thought was kind of cool, is start with the sideboard instead of like most most lists when you when you read uh, you read left to right. So you're going to start with the main deck. Start with the sideboard instead because most errors actually occur in the sideboard uh, or a large a large enough percentage of them that you just look through and you're like, oh, this this has got some problems with the sideboard, and you can just set that list aside and go on. You know, knowing that you got to come back to it. it saves you a little bit of time, especially if you're working by yourself. So That's interesting. You count the lists. Twenty lists shouldn't be a problem uh, to get to knock out by yourself in a round. Shouldn't be a problem at all. You should be able. No. To, you should be able to get that done uh, with you know thirty-ish minutes, twenty-ish minutes remaining on the clock. Maybe even with a judge call or two. Uh, your first round is going to be probably. This is another thing. I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt. This is going to be another thing that you want to check before the event. If the format is not standard, familiarize yourself with the band list uh, so that when you are checking these decks, if it's just format you don't play very often, you go through it and you're like, well, I know Bloodbraid Elf is banned in modern because I heard about that, but I don't know anything else about what's banned. And and if somebody's playing Seething Song, you may not notice. We Uh, had had this this past weekend, we had Jelectrodes and Is It Boilerworks make it past the deck check team it was discovered uh, uh for standards uh yeah it was okay. standard event. the player I mean, clearly it was clearly it was uh, is it versus golgari dual decks gp right uh it's they were is it versus golgari cards guy, <laughs> guy just assumed so he had this awesome deck built around electrodes yeah it was a great deck but you know 20 minutes remaining in the round judge is electrodes standard legal like, uh, i don't think they reprinted that oh let me go nope 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 it's not uh all right let me go get that list and we're gonna find out uh what some problems are you know we found it in the uh the list of 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 lists that had been or in the pile of lists that had been checked successfully so yeah so yeah definitely be sure to to look at the, the card names if time permits like you kind of balance balance the problem like let's say you get crushed and it's just you and there's 60 people see if you can get a store employee to help at that point you really have to make a decision whether or not you're going to be counting lists into round two or if you're going to just check quantities of cards and maybe not necessarily names and so here's here's a a trick that most uh judges a lot of l1 judges don't even know this I think some even L2 judges don't even know this. You can count deck lists into round two. You don't necessarily have to finish before the end of round one if it's not possible. So this is something you definitely want to, if possible, try to finish before round two. But if you absolutely can't, you can continue into round two and give the appropriate game losses in round three. This sucks more for everyone yeah, involved, yeah. but it is an option. And I, I've actually only seen this done at very large events where with a judge staff that ended up overstaffed. You know, we, we expected 150 people. We had, you know, 275 show up kind of events. Right. So, that, like, you you really don't need to be doing that at a small GPT. But like you said, if you have... If you're expecting 20 or 30 people and you have four times that many show up, you may need to do this just to get yeah. them all counted. But by all means, count them. Don't don't let them fall by the wayside and not all get counted. Right. Okay. So now you're counting lists. You're answering judge calls. You're being friendly. You're being happy. You're being upbeat. You know, you're talking to players. That's actually important 
you know, talking to players because it is all about customer service. It is all making sure that they're having a good time. You're pushing in chairs. You're picking up trash. Once once you get the list counted and you figure out what the problem, you know, you figure out what the problems are. You plan your strategy of attack to address them. Um, going into round two, you know, how are you going to give these penalties? If it's a small enough event and the the people are close enough together, you can actually address some of these problems at the end of round one. Okay, and by that I mean correcting the deck lists and and letting them know that there's going to be a game loss at the beginning of round two. But you can take care of the actual deck check stuff at the end of round one. You know, you're implying the penalty at the beginning of round two. Like obviously after they finish their game, you know, you're not gonna like stop them in the middle of a game unless there's uh, some card legality issues, but you can you can do that you know try and save time where you can if you have a lot of lists and it's just you uh it's not horrible to uh mark something on the pairings you know and say hey yeah if there's an island if there's an island at your table please don't start playing i'll be with you as soon as possible that kind of thing that's kind of that was gonna be my question was what happens if you have to hand out three deck deck list problems and uh you've got Try and take, yeah, try and take care of it. You know, just plan the most the, the most efficient use of your time. So if you can take care of one or two at the end of round one, like after they finish their match for round one, take care of that. You know, take care of it then. But if it has to if it has to wait and you just don't have enough hands to get everything done, you know, sure, ask the players to wait. Remember to give them the extension. And then when you ask the players to wait, the problem list that you go and take care of needs to be the short one, okay? So you go and take the guy that has a problem with his sideboard, has a 14-card sideboard, gets resolved before you go and tackle the guy who's got the, you know, the is it Skulgari dual deck. <laughs> you know, because his, 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 he's going to require a little bit more attention, love and care. Uh, so you just knock out the guy with the sideboard real quick, and then you can go and take care of the longer problem. That way you're holding, you're only holding up one match instead of two. And then once that's done, the event is kind of the, the, the wheels are back on the bus at that point. Yep. You know, you can start thinking about, you know, if you've got another guy, you know, maybe he can go on break round three. You know, get yourself a water. You need it. Yeah. I mean, do you have any other questions about things during the event? Because really, after that point, it's all it's smooth sailing most of the time. I'm, I'm going through my questions here. I think, yeah, no, I mean, pretty much. No, we covered all of them. Yeah, that was that was great. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Um, need more content. No, well, no, no. We're good. That, we, so we got content. If, if you have, I mean, like, well, there was one weird thing. I, again, it's one of those. Uh, I, I suppose it's just this isn't. I suppose this happens at any kind of REL. But I, I started thinking about it when I started thinking about uh, competitive REL, which is, let's say that you are. This is your first time hedging a, a larger event, and you do have, let's say, two or three helpers. What kind of parameters do you set with them in the event, or how? Uh, I don't know. I, I guess I, I, I don't have any experience, you know, having uh, working with people on, on a competitive REL event, except as a member of a team. What what are they expecting to hear from you? How are they expecting to to kind of be organized? Does that uh, question make sense? No, it yeah. makes a lot of sense. But the, the answer dif- is different depending on the size of your team. Um, yeah. There are certain things that are always going to be the same. For example, you know, hey, if you're giving out a game loss and it's not for tardiness or a deckless problem, then I want to hear about it before it happens. Uh, it just making sure everybody knows that. That's standard, but you still want to point it out. Appeals, downgrades. How to handle appeals, upgrades, downgrades, things like that. Just bring it up. You don't have to spend a lot of time talking about it. Just remind everybody how that works. 
uh, rewinds for G rewinds. They all go through you. If you have more than a couple of people, uh, yeah, on your team, then uh, it's a good idea to to let them know that you might not be that you might not be on the floor as much as they are. And this is specifically because you know, as the head judge, you want to be available for appeals at that point, right? Like if there's yeah. a, if there's a team and they're answering judge calls and and uh, players can appeal, you don't want to take that away from them by being the guy who takes the call and having them go, you know, I'm not sure, I want to appeal, and you go, you can't appeal, I'm the head judge. <laughs> uh, and they just look at you like, oh, when you know, really, what they all they wanted was to uh, get some get some insight onto. They, they maybe didn't have faith in your ruling or whatever it is. They just they wanted to say you were wrong. <laughs> you were wrong. Now, here's a good question: How do you handle that when that happens? And my favorite is um, if I'm the head judge and somebody asks me if I can if they can appeal, and I have the the uh, uh, ability to do so uh, and the time. I'll say I am the head judge, but I will discuss this with another judge and make sure I have the right answer and come back to you. Um, That's sweet if, of you. If I have the time. It's very and sweet. Just, no, I haven't. I don't always do that. If I don't have the time, I'm just like, I'm sorry, I'm the head judge. But like, I don't. If I don't want to take away, I don't want to take away from a customer service perspective, right? Because whatever I'm doing reflects on the store. Keep that in mind. So that whatever you're doing as a head judge reflects on the store you're in as much as it reflects on you. In fact, more so. So that being neither here nor there, with actually answering your question. Which is what do you tell your team? Um, what's that? That's it. That's not. That's it's not. A, it's not a bad idea, especially if you're a if you're a less experienced judge. You know, at the at the same time, if you're if you're not certain about your ruling, then definitely get a second opinion from another judge. You know, even even as head judge, if you're out on the floor and you're about to make a ruling, uh, yeah, you know, you can still you can still ask. Being head judge does not magically make you everything you say correct. I mean, it does, but it doesn't. You know, you you have the power to be wrong and make you know, but you know, make you sure also you have to respect the fact that as a head judge, you have the power to be wrong and still make that the final ruling. Yes. Uh, so you have to be aware of that. If if you make a ruling and somebody's not sure about it, you might be wrong. So double check if if possible. Double check if if you don't have anybody else with you, it may not be possible. But if you can, so if you have the time and the ability. Let's talk about let's talk about appeals for a set for briefly. Yeah, let's. Okay. If if you're if you're a if you're the head judge, and another judge comes over and tells you, "Hey, I got an appeal." There we go. That's that is as head judge your two most important thing. One of the two most important things are investigations, and appeals. So whatever you're whatever you're doing, those become the important things. And the you basically talk to the judge, find out what the situation is before you go over there, and then go over and talk to the players just like you would uh, on a normal judge call. You know, find out what the issues are, give them a chance to explain things. Uh, if you have any questions, you talk to the original judge, uh, and then when you make you make your ruling, you uphold or or overturn it. And it, uh, I got one not, thing to add to that is before you uphold or overturn anything, clarify with the players what the original ruling was so that you don't end up saying you're upholding something, but actually giving the other answer or oh, saying you're over. Do you not norm, normally I know what the floor judge ruling is was before I even walk over? No, I always I always check with the floor judge and you should. Uh, but it, but once you get it with the, you know, I, I always sit there with the players and go, you know, so I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. Uh, after I get their stories, make sure we're all on the same page. So my understanding is that the floor judge ruled that your grizzly bear is in the graveyard. Is that correct? Bear, and they bear. go, no. 
spare cup. I don't. No, not. Um, <laughs> and and, uh, and he goes, yes, 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 that's correct. You go, okay, well, I am upholding the judge's ruling that the gri- grizzly bear is in the graveyard, or I am overturning the ruling and the grizzly bear is actually on the battlefield. Bear cup. But you don't, uh, you, don't, you, you don't want to be in a situation where you say, I'm going to overturn the judge's ruling and your grizzly bear is in the graveyard and they just look at you confused. Tavern swindler. <laughs> and if they just look at you confused, then you end up in the situation where they, they, they now you've kind of undermined yourself by saying you're disagreeing with this guy, but you didn't actually even know what he said. So you just verify what they said and then give a ruling. And if there are two well, the biggest reason for this, no, it's not. Uh, the biggest reason for this is that it, there are some calls where it could go either way. And you're going to uphold what the floor judge said because just what the floor judge said. And you don't want to say you're overturning the ruling and then go with what the floor judge said and then and then have to come back and be like, oh, no, I was wrong. Or I'm holding the ruling, I mean, and then go with something else you said. Yeah. Yeah. And then have to come back and say something else later. Like, especially when you get into those, like, he, sh- he said, she said situations. Yeah. A lot of times you're going to you're going to go, this is what the floor judge thinks is correct. I agree with that. This is what we're going to do. And then when you when you get in there and you're like, OK, I'm going to uphold the judge's ruling and this is the case. And they go, but that's not what the judge said. Well, now, no matter which direction you go, you look bad. Yeah. So double check first. Yep, yep. Um, okay. Uh, so then some number of rounds pass by and we get ready for the top eight. Dun, dun, dun. So uh, what you should be doing uh, in the few rounds before the top eight is you should be posting standings and pairings for the last two Probably rounds the, of the, Swiss. Just the last round is fine. The last two rounds, some people will care about, but it has very little impact. Uh, so and this is actually, as I have observed, kind of an East Coast, West Coast difference. Typically, we do the last round and on the East Coast, they typically do the last two rounds. But unless you're in a very, very large event like a GP, it probably won't have an impact. There was there was an email from Andy Hecht about a year ago that was like, yeah. do it, do it the last two rounds. Last two rounds. That's what he said. Well, this specifically for PTQs. Yes. Yes. That, that email was specifically for PTQs, which often That's run into the true. nine and ten round uh, to nine and ten round range. But when you're talking about a GPT where you've got five rounds. Oh, yeah. Sure. The last two rounds is kind of pointless. I agree with both of you. Yes. OK. So you want to then during the last round of Swiss or maybe maybe in the parent, uh, you want to figure out where you want your top eight to be uh, and prepare that area uh, as best you can. Let's see. It's here. nice if when, you can uh, separate them. Yes. Like when they play, you know, don't have the, the two right pairs that are about to play against each other sitting next to each other. Right. So if you let's say you go down a row and you have tables one, two, three, and four, and that's where you want your top eight to be, you know, you know that the winner of bracket one and eight is going to play the winner of bracket four and five. So don't see those two matches next to each other because they'll get to see what each other are playing. Gotcha. Then if you if you and see make them, sure you stack them, them that way. way. Well, don't. Wizards of Aaron Porter does that correctly now, so I, it should have to be paired that way. But don't, uh, don't just assume that you know how it works and <laughs> and pair them however you you I know how this works because apparently there there uh, there was an event in a state uh, a few states over where the top eight was not paired correctly. It's awkward. Now this awkward. is this is not necessarily the same if it's a draft top eight. If it's a limited event and there's a draft top eight, they may not be seated that way. Uh, for example, for the PTQs, uh, the instruction document. I don't know if it's still this way, but for the last limited season, the instruction document sent to the TO actually said to seat them randomly and then pair them across the table from each other. 
uh, which meant they were not paired one eight two seven three six four five. They were just paired randomly, which was really really awkward. Yeah. Um. So make sure that you're aware of any stipulations that go with that. If it's a grand prix trial or something mm -hmm. like that, that, if there's any special thing that needs to be done. Uh, for example, yeah. if a Grand Prix trial, if it's a constructed Grand Prix trial and there are between nine and, and uh, 16 players, you do an extra round of Swifts and cut to top four. Mm -hmm. yes. And there's not an option to do it any other way. That's just what you do. But Ask if it's the tournament organizer for the uh, fact sheet if he has one, which has all that information. And when he tells you he doesn't, uh, which you, you probably you won't. You look for it. You, you look for it online. And you'll I go it. to IRC and I ask for it is what I do. <laughs> That's um, one way to do so, it, CJ. Would be yeah. self-sufficient. Uh, there is a Judge IRC channel for anyone that doesn't know. I don't really use it, but it's apparently very popular among the kids these days. Um, well, you know, IRC is the new hot thing. It is. It's it, real big. It now. is. It is big. I use it. I think I've been on it twice, and it, oh. I just didn't like it. <laughs> I, it. At events, I use the IRC channel for uh, crap. Word just did this horrible thing. Does anybody have any idea how to fix it? Yeah. That's what I use IRC during events for. And, and how, where, where do I find the information on the IRC channel? It'll be in the show notes. Sweet. <laughs> yes. Be a little cautious with the IRC channel. Uh, it is not uncommon to ask for assistance there, at least in my experience, to ask for assistance there and be met with nothing but sarcasm. So if that happens, bear with it and move on. Uh, they, uh, I mean, they're pretty good usually. If, if you if you come in there and say, I have, I am running an event and I have this problem, uh, you should not have to worry about sarcasm. If you just come in there and be like, hey, you know, last week I was doing this and I had this problem, then yeah, you might get some, some snarky some snarky responses. But, but the people there generally know when it's when it's serious time and when it's play time i, I hope that's true that's that's my experience all right so I mean, you have a lot more experience with the irc than i do so i hope that yes. that's, that's accurate um but i'm just saying if you if you get in there and you feel that, that things your concern is not being taken too seriously that's not a reflection on you uh it's a reflection on whatever jerk is is buying the keyboard on the other end so top eight top eight's going anything else you need to be doing uh, well, before the top eight, didn't we didn't we check the top eight stacks, right? You can. Well, can. Uh, this is actually a point of debate among judges oh. as to whether or not to do the top eight deck check. Um, some people are of the opinion that you should. Some people are of the opinion that you should not. And there are various pros and cons, both directions. Um, uh, personally, I'm of the opinion that if you do it, it should be a real deck check. It shouldn't be this kind of courtesy thing that, that is turned into its own. Uh, courtesy deck check? Yeah, you hear that a lot. Is We're going to do a courtesy deck check. No, there's another thing. If somebody gives you a deck for the top eight deck check, and that deck is marked wrong, incorrect in some fashion, they are still getting a penalty, and unfortunately, you're giving them a penalty in the top eight, yeah, which what, can happen. What now, does that mean, a courtesy check, though? Like, what is the, what's the difference between that and a normal deck check? So there's there you'll sometimes see that phrase at events where the usually it's the tournament organizer that wants this. Uh, they actually want to have you check their decks ahead of time to prevent problems from happening oh. and like not give them penalties because we don't want penalties in the top eight. What? Yeah. Now, one of one of the things to remember about these these deck checks uh, is. Well, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with failure to decide board, okay? Because they they're not in a game; they're between matches, okay? Um, I don't have an issue with that. Uh, I do have an issue with you know marked cards. Uh, I do have a problem with uh, you know deck deck like the cards in their deck aren't on their deck list, or the sum total the seventy five that they're running is the seventy five that's on their list. 
and you want to make it clear when you're taking the decks, if you decide to do a deck check, that you are giving me the deck as though you would give it to an opponent. You know, make sure make sure it's it's all good and 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 happy. Even even for the top eight deck check, you want to that that kind of same philosophy. Now, I, I, the reason I ask is because I've been to events, but small small competitive REL events before, where the top eight were the top eight was asked to turn in their decks before the top eight was going to start, and they asked each person who thought they were going to be in the top eight to hand, not only hand in their deck but also to organize their cards. So, so when, when Brian said that, what he meant was uh, everything other than randomizing it. Oh, okay. Uh, so he, he, you do not want them to hand it to you randomized, okay. uh, and you will not give them an insufficient randomization penalty for handing you a sorted <laughs> deck in that situation. Right. Um, so it, it should be sorted such that it, it, it it's really easy to go through and check it very quickly. So you go through, you check them, uh, you check for marked cards, you check for any discrepancies in the deck list. If, if none of these things exist, uh, that, that sh- then you should be fine. You, the reason we say things like make sure it's as though you would hand it to an opponent is so it ended up, end up with situations like this. I did, I did a top eight deck check once where somebody had four Huntmaster of the Fells in slightly transparent sleeves. And when I discussed it with him, he said, well, I haven't played with those like that. I have these checklist cards that were in there before, but you said you wanted all of our cards sorted, so I put the, the Huntmasters back into oh, the sleeves. Oh, okay. So that you would know what was supposed to be there, and it wasn't just a checklist card. So I had to go back and talk to his previous opponents and confirm that he was using checklist cards, which I didn't really have to do, but I wanted to, because if that was the case, I didn't want a game lawsuit for this. And uh, and as it turns out, that's exactly what had happened. Uh, and that's why you want to make it clear as though it's still for the tournament, not yeah. just, you're not just doing this for me, this is for the tournament. Gotcha. Um, it's, it is a real deck check, okay? Uh, for It is for reals. Uh, you can you can let slide the randomization rule, and then the you know if their if their main deck is mixed in mixed up with their sideboard, you know that's fine also uh, because you are between games, sure. But the other stuff is uh, is game on, and that's if you decide to do it. If you don't have time, eh, eh, you know it's a twenty person event. Right. Yeah. You don't, if you don't have time to do it, don't do it. It's not a requirement. Uh, yeah. It's a good idea, but it's not a requirement. Yep. Yep. So then, be sure when the when the when the players are, are are playing, don't let the players just decide who plays who. You know, make sure that you're driving that. And that way, you don't have mm-hmm. an issue of of wrong people playing. Um, when the winner wins, you know, make sure they feel like they won. You know, it's a big deal. They just won an event. They're getting prizes. Oh, also another thing, uh, the whole bribery and collusion stuff. Uh, you may want to make announcements about what is and is not legal because at GPTs, one person gets, you know, a lot of times first place gets the buys, maybe some packs, and then second place gets a bunch of packs. And, you know, well, what happens when it's like, well, I, I'm not going to this GP. I want the packs. I want the buys. So, you know, what crosses the line? So be sure to familiarize yourself with the bribery uh, and collusion rules before you get into the situation. To, is it also prudent to actually kind of start working that in when you start reaching the rounds of Swiss where people could potentially draw or people get paired up and paired down? I've, I've seen that at events before as well where you're, you're in the final round of Swiss where people are going to be drawing into the top eight or one person could be in the top eight where another person couldn't be. You can make, you can make reminders of, hey, guys, we're heading into the last round. Uh, please be sure not to offer to roll for winner 
do not do anything that could be construed as trading a win for material anything. You know, that makes me fill out paperwork, and I don't like doing paperwork. You know, it also means that you're gone. So you know, you can you can you can phrase that. However, you know, you can be serious, you can be light, but you can work that in. That's that's not a bad thing to do. Um, yeah, and the other thing to keep in mind is that in the very last round, uh, in, when there's just two of them left in the final, uh, the the they may agree to split to divide the tournament prizes however they want, and one player uh, agrees to drop from the event. And this is not collusion. This is specifically called out as allowed, as long as they aren't involving as long as they aren't involving anything outside the tournament. It, it can't be. It can be, well, uh, I'm going to the GP and you're not, so let's just split it so I get the buys and you get the prize. If it's the final, that's fine. If it's the final final between the two. It it, it cannot be, well, I'm going to the GP and you're not, so I'll take the buys and you take all the prizes and I'll buy you a sandwich. That's right. You're adding adding something outside the, 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 the prizes for those two places. You know, and you can't do something like that on, uh, you know, when you're when you're in the the quarterfinals or something like that, where it's like, hey, you know, scoop to me and we'll split, or concede to me or drop from the event and we'll we'll split. You know, that's also bad, but it is a specific exception in the finals because it it kind of sucks for the person who wins the PTQ to not be able to go. Or the right. person that wins the, the GPT not able to go to the GP. Right. So. And also players in the single elimination rounds of a tournament um, that all offers yeah, only cash or unowned product as prizes uh, can agree to split the prizes evenly with the permission of the CEO. Now, this is a very narrowly worded uh, rule. If you're offering, for example, store credit at your event, this is also fine. Um, and if it's not, someone will correct me, but it's also fine. As long as as long as it's not an event that must have a winner. Um, if they do this and it must have a winner, they have to continue play. They can't just stop the tournament at that point. Does that explanation make sense? Yeah. Yep. Okay. And so then, yay, the guy wins. Make it a big deal. Make it something special. Uh, hopefully you're still playing. Congratulations at- to X-Player. Yep. Yes. Make make sure, you know, hopefully you're still playing in the venue as opposed to like the sidewalk or something or, or a bar or well, not a bar, a restaurant or something like that because you got kicked out of the store. I, I've seen PT finals in Denny's before uh, yep. because the venue closed. Yep. Seriously? Yeah. yeah. The venue's closing. Yep. We still have a match to play. Let's go I mean, to Denny's this, across the street. Although this isn't going to happen at your first. Right. No, it's not. Because like you're at some T.O.'s place. He's not yeah. going to close on you're you. Gonna be, yeah. The T.O. might be might be like looking at his watch going, come on, he's going to fit. Yeah. But, but if that's the case, that means you had a lot of players and he made money. So he should be happy. Yeah. Yeah. Because what the worst is when the, your GPT starts at like 10 and you're done by one. <laughs> and this hopefully won't ever come up for you. But since we're on the topic of TOs getting impatient, uh, it, it is a conversation I've had to have. Your TO can't bribe them to drop from the event either. Um, so... <laughs> Your CEO can't be like, I'll add a bunch more prizes if everybody decides to to split and drop. Like the game. I've seen it discussed. Yes, uh, it did not actually happen because I stepped in and said, you can't do this, and this is why. Uh, but uh, it was definitely discussed in an event 
when CEO wanted it to end sooner than it rather than later, uh, where he was like, I'm willing to add more prizes as long as they'll just stop playing now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. And your response was no. Yeah. We can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. And he told me about it. He, as the head judge, he told me about it. It didn't say it to the players. If he said it to the players, I'd be enrolling him in his own event and disqualifying him. But, <laughs> but uh, he, he talked to me about it yeah. and said, can we do this? And I said, no, we can't do this. If you're going to add more prizes, it can't be as encouraging. Well, it can be an encouragement, but right. it, it, one way or another. But but you first, can't first place, actually. First, you have to just place. say we're adding more prizes. You can't just go we're we're, we're adding more prizes. Please draw. We're, we're adding more prizes, but only if you you split all the magic. Yeah. Okay. First so, place, yeah. second place now get the exact same prizes. That is one thing you could do. Yes. You could go. No. You could go. I'm adding enough prizes so that all eight of you get the same thing first place gets. And then you've just removed the incentive to play. Yeah. You know, but that's that's the players making that decision. Not the TO. Got right. It. And then they could still try to play, in which case your TO will get really upset. <laughs> <laughs> and you can laugh. You can be like, wah. <laughs> or depending on the language of the event, cry. Yeah. Hey, what else do you do when an event is done? Uh, sometimes you have to type up deck lists. Or give uh, the TO to type up. Yeah. Uh, you, you also want to make sure that the TO uploads the event from Wizards of Network Reporter. Yep. Yes. Sometimes you will be doing this, but technically it's the TO job, so make sure you remind him if you did not do it. Uh, hey, don't forget to upload that event because players will be asking about their Planeswalker points. And if you're familiar with Whir, you could even say, do you know how to do that? Because I can show you. If you don't, I'd be more than happy to. And then show them. Um, yep. And if you don't know how to do it, it's very easy. There's an upload button. once you end, There's an end the event button. So you click the end the event button, and then it's replaced with an upload button, and you click the upload button. So Is that going to be in the show notes? Uh, actually, I think I think uh, something that should be in the show notes is probably a guide to Wizards Event Reporter. Uh, Eric Levine wrote a, an excellent, although slightly outdated, guide to Wizards Event Reporter that uh, it's called the Big Purple RNU. I don't want to go into detail about it now because it's not really the topic of the show, but it's yeah. probably a useful resource. And it'll be in the show notes, right, CJ? All right, it'll be in there. <laughs> Are there any things you can have CJ put in the show notes? Yeah, there's uh, there's plenty of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> One one other one other thing that I've actually seen some judges forget. Um, get your comp. Oh yeah. Um, I've I've seen it happen. They're just, just like oh, they they just want to get out so bad. They just run and they're they're like halfway home and they're like ah crap. Mm. Yep. Yep. But normally yep. we go out to judge dinner with the TO so he can still hook you up after. Good move. In, but that is... you mentioned you mentioned typing up deck lists before. In, in what in what scenarios would you be typing up deck lists? Oh, uh, if the event like if for whatever reason I know that for example one of the stores here in town likes to have the top eight deck list for their F and M. Like the players aren't required to have the deck list for F and M, obviously. But then after the F and M is over, uh they ask the players if they would be willing to give their deck list uh or give their deck in to have it put up on the, the store's website. That might be the most abysmal thing I have ever <laughs> <laughs> it, yes, but it's the TO's decision. Um, I think a better example would be, although you may not have to do this at a Grand Prix trial or something of that nature, at a PTQ it's actually required to type the deck lists because those have to go to Wizards coverage. Yep. Uh, and it may not be you doing it. Star City events. Yeah, for, for TCG players, that's just the same thing. For Star City uh, IQs, it's the same thing. 
they the like the most important thing they want from you is they want to know who won and they want to know what the top eight were playing. And so sometimes that falls on the judge who's sitting there going, I have nothing to do while these guys play out this match and don't call a judge because they know how their deck works. And you'll be sitting there typing the top eight deck list. And it actually doesn't take that long uh, to type eight deck lists as long as it's standard and nobody's playing crazy decks. You know, in modern, it might take a little longer when your top eight is nothing but like birthing pod decks and it's all one ofs and yeah. stuff. But uh, but that's okay because you'll have one eggs player, so you'll be there for four hours. Um, but four hours you know. in round one, yeah. untimed. So you should you probably for your for for a GPT for like a twenty person event you're not going to have to worry about typing up the deck list unless the TO has some sort of buck up his butt about them. You know, yeah. So if, here's what I would do: if you think if you have any inclination that the TO might ask you to type the deck list and he hasn't talked to you about this already, then I would take your top eight deck list after you've done your top eight deck check. And I would hand them to the TO and say, I want to make sure I give these to you for safekeeping in case you wanted to do anything with them. Uh, I, I just wanted to make sure you got them. Yeah. <laughs> and and then it's really awkward if you take them and then tries to hand them back to you to type them up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it is probably one of the more miserable things. Oh, something else. That we were taught that, yeah. Speaking of miserable, so many something else's. There's so many something else's. CJ's just like, I want this this podcast to be over. Um, When you enter in all the match slips at the end of the event, because presumably you're also doing the scorekeeping, sort all of the match slips and then do something so that if you need to recover them or or look through them to find out like someone comes up and is like, hey, I've noticed I only have 12 points when I should have 15 points. You know what gives? So you can actually find the uh, the match slips uh, quickly. What he's saying is sort them and don't throw them out until the event is over. Correct. And if it's a large event, you may not even want to throw it out. In fact, let the TO throw it out. Don't don't throw match slips away ever. Let the TO yeah. do it. But yeah. leave them with the TO? Yeah. Okay. Because here's yeah. why. Because if, if somebody comes up two days later and goes, hey, my last match was wrong, then the TO is going to have to, if, if the TO believes him, he's going to have to report to Wizards that that was the case. And the only way he can do that is if he still has the match list. Got it. I'm actually going through that right now with the WFCQ. And so, it's a little awkward. So, yeah, so sort them so that it's easy to find because players might come up to you and be and dispute some scores or, hey, I noticed I got pared down or I noticed all the players sitting around me have a completely different number of points than I do those kind of things and so you need to be able to quickly just quickly research the problem and figure out what the issue is especially if players have already started playing their matches or you've already started the round uh you might need to do some creative uh worrying be a word ninja but that's that's more on the war episode than the than the uh which I listen to the Whir episode because I don't know how to Whir Ninja at all. I don't think we can do that in an audio format very well. Layers was hard enough. I'm not sure we can do Whir in, in an audio format. Maybe we should do a video and narrate it or something, but like audio seems terrible for that topic. Yes. Any more questions, Mark? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I was like, ramble, 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 ramble. So, Mark, do you have any questions? Yeah. Has what? Has CJ ever edited a video before? Uh, <laughs> edit a video? Oh. <laughs> All right, I want I, I want to end the show, but also I need to talk about sealed real quick because sealed has a whole separate set of obstacles, but I want to talk about it very fast. 
Is everyone ready? Okay. Ready. Okay. Before an, event, before an event, if, you ha- if you're having a sealed event, you want to make sure that you have a land station set out and you want to make sure that you have product already set aside. Okay. You don't want to just be passing it out as it comes um, straight out of the box. It's a lot easier if you already have it set aside and ready to go. Right. And and just for quick, brief cliff notes, one box supports six players for sealed, one box supports 12 players for draft. Good. Also, I always forget to do this. You it's you would really like to have some decks pre-registered because if someone shows up 15 minutes into registration of the pool, uh, the TO is going to be like, yeah, I'll take more money, no problem. But now you have this guy who doesn't have a deck registered. So if you have a few pools pre-registered before the event, you know, so actually crack the packs and write down all of the registration for them, it can help a lot in, in getting that guy going. So this is this is something make- you uh, I would probably wouldn't do unless really yeah and there's two reasons for this one is uh you, you're gonna double check with the to before you do this because you're opening his packs uh, and the yes, second obviously. thing you're gonna do is uh is if somebody shows up 15 minutes late you're more than happy to enter them into the event but they've only got uh are you talking about not deck registration but just pool registration yeah pool registration do it um, yeah because like, because yeah, you, you you don't want to sit there and wait on them and the to is not going to turn them down so here's a here's a an awkward situation that we had uh a few years ago where on Friday night we made like three or four uh, for a sealed event. We made some pre-reg pools. Okay, one of the pools was extremely busted. Like <laughs> it, it had like uh, I remember it had like uh, a foil coffin in it or something like that. Back and this was you know back when cough was crazy, and it was just like it was scars and it was scars and mirrored and oh, red was just the stone nut. The judge who was an L zero who registered the pool uh was bragging later that night to a bunch of players about how awesome the one pool was for the uh for the late reg guys. Uh which created an aw- awkward situation the next day because we had players who intentionally showed up late because they wanted a chance to get the busted pool. <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, and they you know, they didn't get it. Eh, yeah, I mean, eh, yeah. You intentionally show up late, and I know that you're intentionally showing up late. Yeah. No. All right, so also part of Sealed, you're going to pass out all the packs and have, I like to have everyone open all the packs at once just so judges can come by and pick up all the trash. And then they're going to have to register the pool. So make sure to be clear to them that at the end, they're going to have registered 84 cards because once you open up all the packs and basically that's 14 times six is 84. And you just want to make sure that they're registering in the uh, register column. You also want to make sure that they sort the pools because if they don't, it's a huge pain. And I can't stress enough to like all my players that you need to be sorting these pools. By sorting them, you, you, you mean by color and then alphabetically? Yes. So by collector's number. In the exact same order that they are in the registration sheet, they should be in that exact order. And that will help you save so much time when um, when you're doing any kind of verification or anything like that. It'll help you so much uh, find missing cards or anything like that so much quicker. After that, personally, and you, if you, let me know if you guys do anything different, but I like to have them pass across and then have that player verify the pool real quick. Like, just make sure that everything registered is actually there and that 84 cards are actually written down. And then finally, for a competitive event, you have to deal with deck swap. So after that, have them pass. I, you know, it doesn't matter. Right, right, across, whatever. You just make it up. And in the end, that, that'll be the pool that they're playing with. And everything else past that goes pretty normally. You still count all the lists and all that stuff. Good? Good. 
Okay, good. Good. I wanted to get that out as fast as possible. Appreciate it. I know it's been a long episode, CJ and Brian, but uh, and Mark as well. I uh, I'm glad everyone had the patience to get through it so far. Yeah. So uh, I think we should skip emails on this one. I agree. Or it'll be our little longest one ever. But I do want to read one real quick uh, from Matt Sinclair. He says, I was listening to a recent episode. I believe it was episode number 61 about layers and heard a comment about a Judge Breaker deck. Do you guys happen to know where I can get a deck list so I can look up some possible interactions and maybe try to put it together? I will have the only link to that that I could find in the show notes. Uh, Since this is the big... This is Sean's, right? Yeah, Sean yeah. Cat and I say yeah, Cat has it on Deckbox. Yeah, he? it's yeah, it's crazy out of date though. But yeah, I found it. Is this the judge player I, I heard I, about? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's Judge Breaker deck. Like it's really out of date because he's not updating it anymore. But still, I'll have a show a note to it. It's uh, a link to it. Because I sent him I sent him an email uh, like a week and a half ago asking about the list, and he said he was gonna he was gonna send it to me. Okay. Well, I so. found it using Google. Oh, but I thought you said it was out of date. Yeah, it's out of date. Why would he update it? He's big. He's big man regional coordinator now. He doesn't have that time for that. Oh, ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Uh, the other emails will wait. We will read them in a future episode. Except that loops guy. Jeez. You don't get read. You're on time. You will. You're in timeout. Read it on a, fir- a future episode. Talk about it on a future episode. You're in timeout. You're in timeout, Brian. Brown. You're in timeout. Mark. Yes. I want to thank you a lot for being on. I want to thank was, you guys for having great. me. Thank you. This, yeah. This has been quite the knowledge dump. It's just... It has a little bit. Vomit, vomit, Knowledge. I started off by taking notes, but then someone told me I could hear this later through some magical technology. Nah, we lied about that. We're, never, we're not yeah, going to we post did. it. Yeah, we actually did. Curses! <laughs> Got him. It's a, it's a trick. To uh, For the listeners, this is this is temporary, but if everything comes out right and the FAQ is actually released next week, so the week of the 22nd, then we will have a short episode, short in quotes, about the FAQ and have that out before the pre-release. Now, that's all dependent on whether or not the FAQ is actually released on time. So we'll see. Hopefully it is. We'll have a cool little Dragon's Maze episode. And then the week after that, once again, assuming everything goes right, we might have an episode about a new IPG because that's when a new IPG is supposed to be recorded or released. So expect a bunch of episodes coming out all in a row because we love you guys. I love I love you. Well, except that guy with the loose questions. Don't be mean to that guy. What is, no, I'm going to be mean to him. He's a great guy. He's absolutely horrible. He that's called us so bear cubs. He did. All right, anyone have anything else they want to add? I'll take that as a no. All right, once again, Mark, thank you for being on. For everyone who listened, thank you so much for listening. My name is CJ Schrader. I keep it fair. I'm Jess Dunks. I keep it fun. I'm TJ Jepson, West State University. What? What? <laughs>